Okay, so the Cowboys lost, but the Eagles also lost. And the Cowboys are the first place in the division, but they don't control their own destiny. What? We'll explain it all here on ADZ Sports Dallas Primetime. And we'll talk about much more. So let's get it started. Here we go. What is up, everyone? And welcome into ADZ Sports Dallas Primetime. I am your host, Mauricio Rodriguez, streaming with you live every Sunday through Thursday night at 8 p.m. Central here on Dallas On Demand Sports Talk Network. With a lot more content coming your way, make sure that you check out adzsports.com slash Dallas. And as always, do me a favor and hit the like button for me if you enjoy the show that helps us put this show in front of more and more Cowboys fans. Welcome, everybody, on a Tuesday night. It is a great night to talk some Cowboys football and definitely a better one than we expected last night uh, because I did not see the Eagles losing to the Drew Locke-led Philadelphia uh, Seattle Seahawks, excuse me, uh, but they did. They did lose to Seattle, and that obviously benefits the Cowboys. It puts them back in first place of the NFC East. But it's confusing, I know. And tonight, I wanted to take a second to really explain what the tie-breaking procedures are and where the Cowboys and the Eagles stand compared to each other. So tonight, we'll go through all that and we'll answer the question, could they actually deliver the Eagles and lose a little bit more so the Cowboys can go ahead and play at home in the playoffs and avoid the very scary road? For the Cowboys, I know that might sound a little bit pessimistic, but I do think it's important for us to talk about it. And we'll look at some tape. I have some thoughts on the Cowboys' loss to the Buffalo Bills. And finally, we'll close out the show with the one cool thing. So welcome, everyone, into the show. I appreciate you being here. Shout out to everyone who is in the chat right now. We've got Gregory. We've got Toxic, we've got Katharina, we've got Mark, we've got our Holly, Mitrius, we've got a lot of people here in the chat, and I am excited about that. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's break it down very quickly. I'm not going to take too much of your time with this, do not worry, but I do think a lot of people want a more clear explanation as to where the Cowboys are at, and I've broken it all down. I stayed up last night put together an article for ADC Sports on this. And finally, we are here to discuss it. So first and foremost, the one thing that we need to put on the table right now is that the Cowboys are 10-4, and 4, just like the Eagles, and they do lead the NFC East. However, do not let that mislead you because while they're number one in the standings right now, that is mostly because of the fact that the Eagles have less division games played than them, and they have less conference games played than them. So that's basically it. The Cowboys have a 4-1 and division record, which is better than 3-1, and but not really, right? Because it only means the Eagles have played one fewer divisional game. So we got to look at, okay, if they were to win out, say the Cowboys go 3-0, and and say the Eagles go 3-0, and then they end up, taking over the division late in the year, specifically week 17, by the way. 
So the Cowboys do not really control their own destiny because if the Eagles win out, it's theirs. And some people might be confused as to why that is, and I'm going to tell you exactly why. So let's go through every tiebreaker that factors into these conversations. So again, for a moment, we are going to assume that both teams win out, and that's a big if, but we're still going to go through it to make it easier. So head-to-head record, that is the number one tie-breaking criteria for a division. They're one-on-one. The Cowboys won in Dallas. The Eagles won in Philly. Advantage, no one. Divisional record, they both have one loss within the division. They don't play each other anymore. That's their loss, by the way, to each other. Uh, So the Cowboys are 4-1 and right now. The Eagles are 3-1. and Let's assume they end up being 5-1 and each. The Eagles need to play the Giants twice in the division. The Cowboys need to play the Commanders once. So they win out. They're both in five and one advantage. No one. That takes us to the third tiebreaker, which is common games. Now, there are many of this, so let's just go through the ones that have had different outcomes for these teams. Both teams played the Jets. The Cowboys beat them. The Eagles did not. That would give them the edge. But keep in mind, the Cowboys lost to the Cardinals. The Eagles have yet to play to the Cardinals. We're assuming they win out. So that one basically takes out the Jets game. The Bills. Cowboys lost to the Bills. Eagles beat the Bills. Doesn't count. Seahawks. The Cowboys beat the Seahawks. The Eagles did not. Doesn't count. Right? So you've got four common games that basically they ended up splitting, to put it one way. So, advantage, no one. And again, Cardinals game yet to be played, but we are assuming that they win out. So, common games, advantage, no one. That takes us to the fourth tie-breaking criteria. This one ought to do it, right? Nope. They would end up with the same conference record since they have three losses each right now. If they win out, that wouldn't change. So, advantage, no one. Finally, that takes us to strength of victory. And by the way, I think I think going to the fifth division tiebreaker is the most NFC East stuff ever. I was going to say different as word, but I'm going to say stuff. That is the most NFC East thing ever. Uh, strength of victory means out of the teams that you've bidden. So if the Cowboys win out and the Eagles win out, they're going to have bidden. Uh, they're going to have bid 13 teams. The question will be out of those 13 teams. What, what is their record, collectively speaking? What is their record? How many games did those teams win? So strength of victory isn't really up to the Eagles, isn't really up to the Cowboys. It's about what the teams that they beat did against everyone else in the NFL, right? So in other words, uh, that would be advantage Eagles. And if you want to think of some examples as to why that is, out of the AFC West, the Eagles beat... The Kansas City Chiefs, the Cowboys beat the Chargers. Obviously, the Chiefs have a much better record than the Chargers. Uh, The Cowboys beat the Jets and the Eagles didn't, but that's a losing team uh, as as opposed to like the Bills who have a much better record. The Cowboys did beat the Seahawks, but it's also not a very winning record. So in essence, the Eagles have beaten teams with a better record. So on paper, they've been in the better rivals, and that means advantage Philly. Some people have asked, and it is a very smart question, could strength of victory change with other outcomes throughout the NFL? 
And the answer to that mathematically is yes, yes, it could. But realistically, and between you and me, it's not happening. I'm, I'm going to give you an example of something that I did on the playoff machine simulator, just having some fun with it. And I wanted to change the strength of victory to try to tilt it to the Cowboys favor. And let me show you what I let me say, tell you uh, what I had to do to get the strength of victory swayed into the Cowboys direction. I simulated the Bills and the Cardinals, who the Eagles beat, but the Cowboys didn't to go a combined 0-6 to, uh, to you know close out the year. And I had the Jets and the Seahawks, who the Cowboys beat, but the Eagles didn't beat, to go 6-0. That would shift the strength of victory to the Cowboys. But you know that's not happening. I know that's not happening. And I'm going to tell you, I, I, if I change just one, just one of those games, it would go back to the Eagles. So that's just to give you an idea of how hard that actually would be. And that was without even factoring in uh, future Chiefs wins and stuff like that. I was just playing around with it to come up with an example to show people just how hard that was. Uh, mathematically, it could happen. Realistically, it's not going to happen. So in other words, that means that a win-out scenario for both teams is just not enough. For Dallas, and that in turn brings in turn brings up the question: Then what do the Cowboys need? Three weeks of football is a lot, so there are many scenarios about you know maybe the Eagles and the Cowboys lose too, maybe they lose out, maybe they win out. Instead, I'm gonna give you the two most likely scenarios: the Cowboys win the division and host at least one playoff game. Uh, being the wild card round with the potential to also host a game in the divisional round because they could very well be the second seed if they end up stealing the division at the last second. So scenario number one, and perhaps the most realistic one, is Cowboys winning out. And yes, it is going to be tough to beat the Dolphins, but they could win that one and they could win their last two against the Lions and the Commanders. If they win out and the Eagles lose a game, whichever game that is, there's no need for a tiebreaker. The Cowboys would just straight up have one more win than the Eagles, and the division would be Dallas's. That's why last night's win for the Seahawks matters, because the Eagles lost, and that allows for that. Otherwise, the Cowboys would be asking for way too much because, man, it wouldn't have been pretty. Anyways, the other scenario is that say the Cowboys win a game that is not the commander's game, just to not lose in the division tiebreaker. Say that the Cowboys beat the Lions, excuse me, uh, lose to the Lions or lose to the Dolphins, whichever of the two. For an easier example, let's go with the Dolphins. If they lose to Miami, it might only take one loss for the Eagles to still have the Cowboys win the NFC East. It just so happens that that loss would need to be in one of the two games that they have left against the New York Giants. Because that way, we wouldn't need to go all the way down to common games or conference games or any of that. It would just end at the number two tiebreaker, which is the division record. If the Eagles lose to the Giants, then they would have two losses in the NFC East, and that would just give the division to the Cowboys. 
and it's asking for too much, maybe, I understand, but I'm just laying out the scenarios for you, not saying any of this will happen, although we're about to talk about it for sure. But that is a way moving forward. Either the Cowboys win out and the Eagles lose one against anybody. Could be the Cardinals, could be the Giants. Or the Cowboys lose to Detroit or they lose to Miami, preferably to Miami, by the way, just for other scenarios purposes and to maybe not lose out on the second seat if it comes to that. Uh, So say lose to the Dolphins, but win your next two and have the Eagles lose one to the Giants. That would give the Cowboys the division. I don't know what the odds say, honestly, at this moment, but I would assume that they heavily favor the Eagles just because the Cowboys have the much tougher schedule. And it's really what it comes down to. The Cowboys have a much tougher schedule to overcome, and the Eagles should win against the Giants at home and on the road, and they should win against the Cardinals. Uh, The reason why, the reason why there could be some hope for Cowboys Nation to win the NFC East is that, damn, the Eagles are struggling. And we'll talk about that. Uh, Actually, let's open it up to the chat. From 1 to 10, let me know how confident are you in the Eagles losing one of their final three and opening the door for the Cowboys to put the foot inside the door and just slam it wide open and end up stealing the NFC East. Let's see what you guys have to say. From 1 to 10, how confident are you in the Eagles dropping one game moving forward? Let's see what you guys have to say. I'm interested. I'm interested because, man, it is a perfect night to talk about it uh, considering considering uh, the whole context of the Eagles right now. Let's see what you guys have to say. Cam goes with a 100 confidence rating. Katharina goes with a 10. Anton goes with a 100. Holly says, LOL, I do not trust Nick Sirianni. Uh, five for Jimmy, so riding the fence a little bit there, but I like that five. Isidro says nine. Let's see here, two for Holly. Gregory goes with 8.7. Nikki goes with a 10. Toxic says 10. Doesn't mean we take advantage of it. The staff moves are a sign of desperation, and Joe is going to go with the 10. I'm going to go with a low score. I'm not going to lie. And the reason why I'm going with a low score is because I believe in my pick em, right, when I predict these games, I just see myself picking the Eagles in each of these games. I, however, will go with a, like a 4.5. Let's say 4.5. 5 being, you know, me being undecided, but 4 being I'm picking the Eagles, so I got to have something lower than a 5. So I'm going to go with a 4, but that might be misleading. Let's talk about this. Man, the Eagles are going through some rough times. And I'm not talking about just the loss last night against the Seahawks, although that was rough. They have lost three in a row. And yes, they've played some some juggernauts in that time, like the Niners are a juggernaut. I know we're frustrated with the Cowboys, but it's still what? The second best team in the NFC? If it's not the Eagles, then it's the Cowboys. So if we're having this discussion... They lost to a very good football team, right? As frustrated as we are about the Bills game to this day, 
And then they lost to the Seahawks, which was the one that they maybe didn't have in their budget. That being said, though, let's look at the context of how they lost the game and what happened before they lost the game. Because people want to talk about Jalen Hurts being sick. And man, I don't know how much slack you can cut a quarterback for being sick. You played, period, man. You played. You showed up. You played. I don't think it's the same as dealing with a finger or a hand injury or a throwing shoulder injury or something like that. And then there's the knee stuff, which, you know, ah, I also wouldn't be able to put too much weight on because they're still running the tush push. And if that knee was really, really affecting the play of Jalen Hurts, and it might be, to be fair, uh, but you maybe wouldn't be running the tush push still at this rate. Now, the Eagles, here's what happened. The week before, the week leading up to the Seahawks game, here are some of the things that happened on the Eagles. One was practicing fundamentals to the point where they had not only practicing fundamentals, which I would be fine with. I still think practices are very different in the regular season than many fans believe, but they were having Jalen Hurts and other Eagles players carry a football with a string on it while coaches punched the ball with sticks, which is very normal in training camp and stuff. And they had them drop to the ground. Like Jalen Hurts was putting his two knees on the ground intentionally, rep after rep, because the Eagles felt like ball security was of the utmost emergency after having three fumbles against the Cowboys defense. And they were doing that in December. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not an NFL coach, obviously. I've never coached at any level of football. I want to someday, you know, some peewee football or some high, high school football here in Mexico or something. But uh, they were having – I've never heard of an NFL team do that in December. Like at least the modern NFL. Maybe decades ago, maybe they even drank in practice. I'm not even sure. I'm just saying – that was weird. And fast forward a few days, and they changed defensive play caller. They changed defensive play caller. Oh, the report is they didn't change defensive coordinator, just the play caller and the guy who ran the meetings. Not the defensive coordinator. Don't overblow the story. Wink, wink. <laughs> Not They didn't change defensive coordinator. It's just the guy that calls the plays the guy that runs defense, and the guy that builds the defensive game plan, but not the defensive coordinator. No, no, no. That, that would have been too extreme, right? And they went from Sean Desai, <laughs> who was basically filling in for, uh, damn, uh, Jonathan Gannon. Sorry, the name was leaping my mind. And they handed the keys to Matt Patricia in December, in week 15. And they decided what could go wrong. Well, I'll tell you what could go wrong. Drew Locke, backup quarterback, needed a 92-yard drive to win the ball game with uh, under two minutes to go left in the game. Oh, he had it. He, he, he scored the touchdown. He won the game. And not only that, but Matt Patricia's defense left DK Metcalf one-on-one -on, -one on James Bradbury, who has struggled 
all year long. Allowed the big shot to DK Metcalf. Allowed the big gainer. And then moments later, you go ahead and you watch the replay. Zach Charbonnet had a little bit more attention than Jackson Smith and Jigba. Now, Zach Charbonnet is a running back who had one target in that game. And Jackson Smith and Jigba was one-on-one on Bradbury, again, with no safety help. So the Matt Patricia thing didn't work out, did it? <laughs> and that's just part of it. Nick Sirianni is also being asked in press conferences about the lack of motion on an offense that is struggling. And here's the thing about the Eagles offense, man. Last year, I respected the heck out of them because they would line up, they would line up, they would call a run play, and they would move the chains. And then they would line up, same formation, and call the same play. Just they were that ballsy last year when they decided, you know what, this is playing, this is working, I'm going to do it again, back to back. And I'm just going to watch you cry. And it worked. Last year, it was epic. It worked. This year, though, it's not working out. And you would assume that you would see some change-ups. You would see some motion, some three-by-one, some this, some that. The Eagles are not doing any of that, though. And they asked Nick Sirianni, hey, what about using some motion? And he went on for like two full minutes. And he talked about how... Motion allows you to know if a defense is playing man coverage or zone coverage. And that's all fine and well, but that's basically all he said. And he said there are other ways to gather information uh, than motion. And we use other things, and sometimes we've used motion. But in all of those full two minutes that he went on a rant on, he didn't talk about leverage in the passing game. He didn't talk about any of that, any of those advantages. Keep in mind This is a team that allowed Patrick Mahomes to score three touchdowns with motion that messed up all of the leverage that the Eagles had. So I'm just saying, man, this is a team that doesn't have the score differential to really put itself among the 10 win teams that exist right now in the NFL. I don't think you look at the one score games that they won. I don't think they've really been dominant. They've been clutch in several situations. I'm not sure about dominant. So all I'm saying is, yeah, I'm likely picking the Eagles every game left, but I'm not super confident about it. They can absolutely drop one of these games. They can absolutely do it. So we'll see what it ends up in. But man, that Eagles team could really give the Cowboys quite the gift here towards the last three games of the year. Now, should we be concerned about the Dolphins game? 100%. Yeah, that's a tough matchup, man. That is a matchup that is going to keep me awake here in the next few days. But just talking about the NFC East picture, it's doable. It really might be doable, man. Let's see, guys. Let's see what you guys have to say. I'm going to try to watch that, Anton. He says, Mo, go watch North Dallas 40. They drank and smoked in the locker room 30 years back. I'll do it. I have not watched it. I'm not sure if I know what you're talking about here. Nope. Not what I thought it was. But all right. I'm going to watch it. That sounds like fun, man. Is that kind of based on like the, the Cowboys though? Or is that just like fiction? I don't know. I'm going to watch North Dallas 40. I'm going to I'm going to make sure I do Anton. Thanks for the recommendation. 
Toxic says, Mo, do you get the vibes? Nick Sirianni doesn't really know what to do. <laughs> I'm not sure it, if doesn't know what to do is the words that I would use. But Nick Sirianni, to me, is very questionable. Like, like I'm not entirely sure we are sure about Nick Sirianni, right? Beyond just like the Philly persona that he's adopted and that Cowboys fans hate, beyond all of that, I'm not sure about Nick Sirianni. I understand exactly what you're talking about, Toxic. I understand exactly what you are talking about. And I'll tell you why before we move on to the next topic. I'll tell you why. I feel like last year, one of my issues with Eagles offense was like, you blitz them and those boys do not have idea what to do. They just threw screens at you. And Jalen Hurts was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL against the blitz. And then towards the second half of the season, that started changing a little bit. They started figuring things out. But again, it was mostly just running game and all of that. And now that that offense is going slowly stale, because it is going slowly stale, uh, I want to see them evolve. I want to see them. I mean, I don't want to see them, but objectively speaking, that's what I would say. I want to see them evolve. Uh, and I'm, I have not seen any of that. I have not seen the motion. I have not seen a passing offense that attacks the intermediate area of the field. It's just basically run the football, throw behind this line of scrimmage, or go yard with A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. But, man, all of this intermediate area straight up left abandoned by the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm actually going to go ahead and try to talk about the dropbacks here where it's actually a lot more than I would have expected here. I'm, I'm trying to filter them out. And all right, so attempt percentage attacking the intermediate field. Oh, no, it's lower. It's lower than I thought. I was looking at overall dropbacks, I think. So percentage-wise, Jalen Hurts is has thrown the sixth least attempts on the intermediate area of the field, which is between 10 and 19 yards. Sixth least in the NFL. That's not necessarily bad, but it's also like the only quarterbacks that have thrown less than that is Derek Carr, Aiden O'Connell, Geno Smith, Russell Wilson, and Justin Fields, and Patrick Mahomes. To be fair, Patrick Mahomes is in a very weird situation right now. Other than Mahomes, I don't think that's the group of QBs that you want to be grouped with is all I'm going to say, right? So, yeah, anyways, Eagles can lose. Eagles can do the Cowboys that favor, and we'll see what happens. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to move on a little bit here on the show, and I want to get to some tape, not a huge, like, film breakdown uh, type content, but I – Went back and looked at the Cowboys offense, all 22. I have yet to dive into defense. I think that a lot of people have already broken down the defense, and I got a pretty good idea as to what happened. I still want to go ahead and do it myself, as always, to try to look for some things. But I went ahead, looked at the offense, and I, I got to be honest with you. I got to give Bill's coach, Sean McDermott, some respect here. This is not me making excuses for Dallas. I wouldn't do that because at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say with the following plays is that they were bested. 
they got got. They were out coached. They were outplayed. Dak Prescott was outmaneuvered in the chess game within the game. And I also think that it's important to understand what happened on Sunday. And a lot of it, based on what I saw in the old 22, was the Bills being one step ahead of the Cowboys. And you got to give some respect to Sean McDermott for having them ready. And let me show you exactly what I mean. Bonus clip, though, before we get here, before we get to the details. Uh, the Brandon Cook shot, I'm not complaining a lot about it. That's a deep shot. Look at the wind. Look at the goal post. I can live with that one. I've seen people killing Dak Prescott for it on social media. I understand it was a missed opportunity, but I also understand if you're going deep, you better be willing to accept incompletions. And that's what that was. So second and six, worth the risk. Would have loved to see that connect, but man, not going to sweat it a whole lot. Uh, this was one of the plays, though, that really frustrated me when watching it live. Watching the old 22 might have given me some more context behind it. Uh, but this is second and 12 after a Tyler Smith hold. And uh, look at this, man. Just, no, wait. This is the one that I'm talking about. Look at the safeties. That gets a too high look. And that kind of talks to the offense, okay? Oh, they have too high safeties. Uh, safeties, we're running. We're running. But look at Bernard. 43, the linebacker, quickly communicating with the safeties, and they're ready for it. They rotate heavily. They get one safety into the box, essentially, and suddenly the Cowboys have much more to be concerned about, right? And Terence still gives up the play there against number 50 there for the Bills. But look at Bernard talking to his safeties, having them rotate, and then Taylor Rapp kind of becomes like, I'm not sure if they contain player, but 50 can just go inside and get the tackle for a loss right there. But that game of adjusting and then responding to Dak's adjustment, that was a common theme throughout this game. I'm going to show you another example later about that. Uh, this is just one pointing out the coverage. Not all of the pressures, not all of the sacks were on the offensive line. This is third down. Dak has all the time in the world. But you tell me, where does he go with the ball? Everyone was covered up. Man, it, it looks like it's going to be too high. Look at the safeties. It looks like it's going to be too high. And then they rotate and they get two guys on CD. Outside and inside leverage right there. And everyone else is covered up. So, sure, you want Dak to maybe find a way to make a play. But also, you look at the film and it's like damn, there's nothing there. There's nothing to work with. But that's part of being out-coached, in my opinion, and out-schemed there by the Bills. They were ready. They were showing three by one. I'm going to show the play once more. Three by one, CD on the three spot, right, from the outside in. And they were ready for that. They didn't allow the Cowboys to scheme him open. Now, when it came down to just being better player versus player, and that might be something promising, uh, we saw the Cowboys got some moments. Like, this is third and five, and this is C.D. Lamb running a flat concept with his other two receivers right there. Look at the protection. I like that way of getting into flood, by the way. But look at the protection. Dak has time, and he finds C.D., and... Not that I want to say that that play is enough, but all I'm trying to say is 
when there wasn't any chess shenanigans or however you pronounce that. Sorry about that going on. You saw the Cowboys execute just a little bit. It wasn't a whole lot of it, though. Um, we saw a little bit of nervousness, in my opinion, from Dak here in the pocket. This one is weird because the way I look at it, you have slants to the left side and you have like this in and a go kind of like a high-low situation there on the backside of the play. Those lands would make me think that the outside slant is the first read and the Jake Ferguson is the second read. No way of confirming that. And maybe Dak's eyes make me question that a little bit. But it just feels to me like Dak should fire the ball to Jake's hands in there, right? Let's look at it. Let's look at it from the end zone and you'll see what I mean. It feels to me like Dak comes off of his second read very quickly. But then again, I'm not sure it's his second read. Wouldn't make a lot of sense just from a full field progression if Jake was the first one. But look at that. I just feel like he's got Jake. That's open in the NFL, in my opinion, right there. Based on what we've seen from even the Cowboys offense. But Dak, I don't know if he feels the pressure. I don't know if it's him just being jittery. And that was a costly play, maybe, later on the on the game. Now, back to the chess matchup here very quickly. This is going to be a run, and look at where Jake Ferguson is. He's going to shift, so the offense is going to shift strength because Luke Schoonmaker is also going to attach himself to the line. But look at the, look at the contained safety, right? So Jordan Poyer, number 21, is basically being the contained defender on the weak side. Right, he's gonna contain there, but then Jake Ferguson motions, and so the schoonmaker and the Cowboys change the, the formation. They do a shift. Rico Dowdle also, no, it's Pollard. Sorry, and then you see Bernard again adjusting the defense, and then he makes Taylor wrap the contained safety to the weak side, and that happens at the last second. But it's just the Bills being ready for what the Cowboys start showing. And look at him being the contained safety and getting the tackle for loss, unblocked, untouched. Right? They motion Ferguson to the other side. Bernard quickly shifted the defensive line, gets wrapped going to contain. And it's just them being ready. I, I, that's just that's not an offensive lineman being pushed around. That's Bernard seeing what the Cowboys are doing and giving his defense the answer immediately to go ahead and, and and capitalize on it. Now, this is a play that would have been a nightmare if the Bills kept their hands on it. And this is a stunt. But I'm not sure what to make about this one. Jordan Phillips basically doesn't even rush or contain or anything. He's dropping back. And he gives Ed Oliver some space to be one-on-one against Tyler Viotish. So let's watch the play here. You know which, which this one is. Tip the ball. Almost a pick. But watching live, I maybe was like, man, he tipped the ball, and that's why number 97 was in the position to make the play. But it seems like 97 was expecting it the whole way because he's crossing the face of the guard and the tackle to maybe give 91 some space against the center. But he's also dropping. He's also dropping. Like, look at 97 right there. Look at, I mean, he's ready for that ball. He's ready for that one. And 91 makes a heck of a play one-on-one against Viadish. 
But 97 is ready. Ready. This is not a pick it up, though, because he's a defensive lineman. He didn't catch it. Uh, but yeah, just some thoughts on the whole offensive struggles. I'm just going to say, man, I'm just going to say they were outcoached on that one. I'm not going to make a huge deal out of it. McCarthy has been pretty solid this year. I think he's at a 0% hot seat situation right now. I think the Cowboys should extend him. I think he should still be the Cowboys coach for the near future, at least. And let's say mid-future, because I don't think he's close to being on the hot seat. But this was a game where Sean McDermott really did outplay him. And, and his offense was not as ready as the Bills' defense was. So shout out to them. Like, respect to them. Uh, not everything is about the Cowboys sucking when they lose they they can be bested and they were bested on sunday so let's see how they respond mike mcdaniel is also a heck of a coach he has big fangio on the defensive side of things so it's not gonna be easy it really is not gonna be easy uh on sunday when the cowboys visit the miami dolphins phoenix rising asks if you missed the tiebreaker scenarios you did sir but you can go back and watch it on especially if you're on YouTube, it's very easy to rewind it. So you can rewind it. That was the first topic of the show. So if you go back to the beginning, you're going to get them pretty quickly. All right, ladies and gentlemen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get out of here with the one cool thing of the week. As always, this is our random feel-good scene uh, segment, excuse me, where we share something that is Cool from our lives, from our personal lives, non-personal lives, professional, sports-related, non-sports-related, whatever you want it to be. So, ladies and gentlemen, let me know what is your one cool thing of the week, and then we'll get out of here. It is holidays weekend. It is holidays weekend. I'm excited about that. Gonna be a little bit bittersweet, but I'm excited about it. So that's my one cool thing of the week. Not only that, but when we, when my family gets together for Christmas Eve, we are going to be welcoming my niece to the Christmas Eve reunion. So that is going to be dope. Uh, she's going to be about one month. No, no, I'm lying to you. She's going to be like, what, two, three weeks old? No, only two weeks old. Damn, it's been so little. Uh, so so little time, but I still feel like I'm very excited about seeing my niece. I became an uncle very recently, and uh, I'm loving it, man. I'm loving every second of it. I'm obsessed with her right now, so definitely has to be my one cool thing of the week. Nikki says, my one cool thing, quit our jobs to chase our dreams. We are trusting God 100%. Nikki, wish you the best, man. Uh, that's that's daring. That's exciting. And I wish you the best, man. Follow your dreams, man. Katharina says, one cool thing. My Christmas is complete. Presents are all grabbed. Just have to cook now. Says Katharina. Let's go. Toxic says, today, I hit four years of sobriety of alcohol one day at a time. Man, respect. Respect. Uh, Anton says, my band opened up for Exodus on Saturday night. OG trash metal band from the 80s, I think, 80s. Yeah, sorry about that one. Uh, threw me off the typo there. Anton, congratulations, man. That's awesome. That's definitely one cool thing. 
Jimmy says, I'm 70 and still enjoying the Cowboys. Let's go. Uh, Holly says, my one cool thing <laughs> is... <laughs> Damn, Holly. <laughs> oh, man. Some of these comments, man. <laughs> Isidro says, Philly getting embarrassed is one cool thing. It was great. <laughs> oh, man. Some of these one cool thing comments go Go, go hard. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's a very one cool thing. <laughs> that's a very cool thing, Holly. I'm not going to lie. going to keep it real. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for me tonight here on the show. And I will see you tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Central. As always, we'll talk some Cowboys football. Hope you enjoy your rest of your Tuesday night. See you tomorrow. Let's talk some Cowboys football. Hit the like button for me. And bye-bye.